Ladies and gents, welcome back to another Engineers podcast. Today I'm joined by Gary Stevens, who's Director of Engineering at Trainline. If you've been in the technology and engineering space in London, you would have heard 100% about Trainline over the last couple of years. If you're a training coach user internationally, you've definitely seen these guys and girls as well. Gary, thanks for coming to join us. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Pleasure. We've got a not-so-hot topic at the moment, developer productivity that we're going to be diving into today. And really understanding your philosophy, understanding what you've implemented into the business and what you believe in would be great. We'll get to that, but I think first, talk to us about Gary, talk to us about your background. Sure thing. So uh, as, as you said, I'm Director of Engineering at Trainline. Um, I oversee uh, three of our big strategic uh, projects, um, around about 150 engineers split across London, Paris and Barcelona. Um, so as you say, if you've taken a train in, in Europe recently, um, the teams that are optimizing and building that, that product uh, for Europe is kind of where, where I spend my time. And prior to that, I was a competitor market. So UK-based, uh, similar size organization, and just focused on saving people money. Good. Okay. Developer productivity, you know, it's been in the public domain really recently, and it's something that we're going to focus on today. What do you think developer productivity is, if we were to break that down for the audience? Yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting one, right? It's It's been an elusive topic, I think, for engineering. If you take manufacturing or sales or recruitment you know productivity and targets have been have been things that have been baked into those industries for for a really long time and engineering has always remained well understood but i think but it's been difficult to kind of pin down of well, what does good look like for a team you know often we've talked about okrs or kpis or other things and i think now we're as the as the industry is maturing now we're asking those questions around well what are we focusing on? How do we make it better? And how do we get a good sense of what we're doing? And I think there's kind of a couple of audiences that really care about that, right? There's the engineers themselves, and then there's exec teams and investors in that business. And, and both are trying to answer a different take on the same question. And the question really is, how do I know that what we're, we're doing is, is going in the right direction? And how do I know that we're, that we're, we're doing it in the best way we can? From, a, from a, a CEO's point of view, that's understanding where those where those chips and those investments are made from a team, it's whether or not they're focusing on the right thing. Um, and that's why I think it's become such a hot topic at the moment. There seems to be a lot of people who are really interested in developer productivity, as in you mentioned their boards, investors, C-level. Have you seen or can you see a shift in mentality from non-technical stakeholders and technical stakeholders and maybe some biases that get created in there as well? I think one of the things that focusing on productivity does is it broadens out the conversation you have. I think, I think with so much of the world being engineering focused at the moment and things being much more digital than they've ever been, I think you are, we're all having much more technical conversations than before, right? I don't think many of us in, in this business are coming up against non-technical stakeholders as much anymore, right? We've got many, many really informed stakeholders who 
have been working in and around technology for a long time. So I think it's easier to have those conversations than it's ever been. But I think some of the things like migrations or replatforming or bug fixes or technical debt, like those are the things that I think you're still being elusive around and kind of trying to frame conversations with it. So I think when productivity is useful, it's a useful measure of like contextualizing the impact that focusing on those things has in a in an outcome driven world, right? If you're saying why we're why we're sort of delayed in in a on an objective or why we're taking a certain route or something or or what's hindering our progress, we're able to kind of rather than just kind of say, well, we've got some technical debt, you can kind of bring that to the fore a little bit more. So I think if anything, the conversations are becoming a lot more normalized and a lot more um healthy. But we haven't deliberately put this pod together off the back of a report that's come out quite recently. You know, we've been speaking since May time and it's middle of September. But there's this report that a lot of people are talking about. It's attracted quite a lot of interest on public, sorry, not on public domains, on developer productivity. Help us understand your philosophies around developer productivity and the why behind those as well. Yeah, great. And I think that there is a report at the moment that's talking quite a lot about measuring outcomes and and results, but also it's focusing quite a lot on individual performance. And and that's at the point where I think my philosophy deviates from from what that report is trying to get to. Because software engineering is not an individual team sport, right? It's not an individual sport, right? It is a team sport. And I think if if you take something like Goodhart's Law that says, when you measure a target, everything becomes, it ceases to be a good measure. I think when you look at the individuals themselves, they will find ways to game those numbers. And when we start gaming those numbers and looking at how the individual uh, contributes to it, you stop focusing on the outcome. You stop focusing on the thing that the team are trying to improve. And I don't think that's a good result for anybody. I think that's that's a poor result for the individual who feels they're being measured in the wrong way. They're not being measured by the quality of their input. They're being measured by the frequency or the size of their of their code. Um, and my philosophy really is kind of one of like helping to measure the team and helping to measure the outcome, not the individuals. Um, when you focus on that, you're focusing on the right things and you're giving the team autonomy within it. So a good measure or a good piece of advice I was kind of given when I started playing around in this space and working with partners on it is you know pick the one thing that you want to improve pick the one thing that you think you as a team can collectively change whether that's lead time to value or whether that's uh, uh, frequency of prs or whatever whatever it might be like pick a single thing and then try to work out how your data is helping you move that thing forward and at that point it becomes much easier for a team to start either diving into some of the data they've got or making hypotheses around what they're trying to do and then I think they can start to really have some some autonomy within the process, but also kind of understand a lot about what they're doing as well. Interesting. If you were to parachute yourself into a business, what do you think the top two things would be to help a team understand developer productivity would be? That's a really interesting question. I, think. I mean, every organization is going to have its own challenges. It's going to be designed around its own uh, its own solutions and its own architecture. I think I want to try and understand what data are teams looking at? 
you know, we used to talk about when, when agile was the whole thing that everyone kind of spoken about, it was, what are you doing in your retros and what are you doing in your, in your ceremonies to understand about how you improve. And those conversations were very subjective and they were individuals kind of contributing. And I think now we want to try and understand what data do we have at hand that's helping us understand how we're operating. That could be Jira, right? You could start with, let's look at how many, let's look at our, how many stories we completed. Is it as many as we thought we did? Let's look at the average size of issues. How many do we think we're getting through? Are we, are we leaving work on the table? So I think I would, I would sort of say to teams, like ask them the question around, what data do you look at in your, in your work, in your, in your sprint? And what does that tell you about how you're working and what things do you think you're learning from looking at that? We don't, they don't have to kind of have thousands of dashboards and real-time metrics and anything. It can be as simple as what are the things that you think you understand about, about your yeah. own way of work and how's that inform the next thing that you do? No, oh, train line, especially this year, uh, this year I think is the year of productivity, but you guys have always had quite a big onus on metrics, observability, that does tie into platform engineering. It'd be great to understand train lines philosophy over the course of the last couple of years in regards to developer productivity, platform engineering, and what state you're in right yeah. now. Yeah, so, so you know, we're around 450, 500 engineers. Um, so it's split across multiple locations. Um, we have teams that are focused on building the products that customers interact with every day. And then we have horizontal teams that do uh, support our platform, develop it, um, keep it architecturally sound and up to date. And when you have that distributed team um, set up as well as a distributed system, there's a lot of contribution coming from all over the place. And in order to keep that platform healthy and keep it working um, to the high standard and being supportive of the engineers, as well as empowering and enabling those engineers to work well with their team, there has to be some visibility of how those two are operating, whether that's uh, code ownership or that's observability, whatever it is, there has to be a way that teams kind of know how they're, how they're working together. And that's what we really want to try and empower. We want teams to, you know, we have, um, fully cross-functional teams in every, in every kind of squad setup. So you have backend engineers, web engineers, mobile engineers, all working together. And that gives them the absolute freedom and autonomy to kind of work on the, the whole product. You know, they don't, a, a product team working in the UK won't just kind of own a couple of services and, and that's it. They'll be able to, they'll be able to have impact across the whole of, whole of the train line tech stack and making sure that they can uh, solve the problems in the right way, but do so safely with kind of not compromising platform quality is how productivity data, as well as quality data, as well as health metrics kind of really help us with that. Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, I think, I think observability to some degree has always been there for a lot of business, but you've seen, or I've definitely seen the rise in the last probably five years or so and how that's come to fruition and how impactful that is for engineering teams. Yeah, I, I think when you try to, you know, we wanted, especially in a B2C business, right? Where you're building things for customers to use in real time, um, whether it's truly global or just one, one country, right? You Customers want your product to work. And, and as an engineer, I think you want your thing 
to work. You want confidence that the thing you're putting out there is working in the right way and that you have confidence that you're not blowing something up in the middle of the night. And I think none of us, none of us want that, that page duty alert or that phone to that on-call phone to ring at like two in the morning because something's gone down. Um, so we all want to sleep soundly. And I think observability gives us that confidence. It's that safety blanket. Yeah. So we know we, you know, we can trace that and we can, we can kind of fix things quickly. When do you think this journey started for Trainline? When you started to look at observability <laughs> metrics and measuring that productivity? Yeah, I think it's come as a as a result of our growth, right? We, you know, we're we're hugely ambitious. We grew, we've grown a lot over the last couple of years, um, and I think with that, it's we've sort of looked across everything we're doing and asked ourselves, yeah. how do we how do we continue to do more? How do we continue to improve? How do we continue to get get high value? How do we continue to empower people? And you know, I think everybody in the industry uses data to back that up. Everybody wants to have the right decision-making in their hands. And whether that's solving a customer problem or building quality into your products, like that's important. So I think it's kind of, it's always been part of our DNA and we've always had that there. But I think how we kind of take it forward and how we capitalize on how we do even more with with our data understanding has been really important over the last 18 months. Good, okay. Uh, I think it would be really important to touch on the business has grown exponentially over the last few years. You know, it has been tremendous growth from afar. I've seen that take place. And I think I've always understood in the market that Trainline have a really well-respected engineering group, if you like. It would be good to understand a little bit more about the people progression models that you've actually built into the business? Because I think you've done some great things and it would be really good to understand what that looks like and also the retention of people as well. 2023, not only for productivity, has been a year for how do you retain really good people that you need to keep driving your business forward? So it'd be great to understand how you have grown that engineering team some of the models and protocols that you've put in place to allow people to grow, but how you've also thought about retention. Great. I mean, over the last year, we've put a lot of effort into this area. You know, we've, we've gone from a few teams in the UK to now several hundred. And with that, I think what's been needed is a consistent and unified approach to both how we develop talent, how we make expectations clear, and as you say, how we promote and retain talent. And part of what we did um, a couple of years back now is really try to focus on what are the roles that we have in the organization? What is the expectation of engineers? So that it's less subjective team to team and it's more a consistent part of our DNA. So so we've used some tooling, um, familiar uh, progression, where we've really documented and broken down every role. And we took a, a view of kind of capturing the core skills and behaviors across all of our engineering roles and then being really granular with the, the way in which people demonstrate and the expectations of them against each of those skills. That's a really transparent and open process, right? You can look at any engineering role, whether you're a junior engineer or a staff engineer, you can kind of look across every role and you can kind of compare the expectations and how you're performing in your current role and see what the next step up. So 
the question we want to answer with that is people saying, well, how do I know when I'm ready? How do I know what's expected of me to get to the next role? That's now clear in, in black and white. And that gives people something to build a career plan off of. That gives them something to start planning development conversations with line managers, or it gives them areas to kind of focus on. You know, they can look up a director role in the organization. They can look up a, a senior staff engineer and, and really start to plan, whether it's for the next promotion cycle, or whether it's for five years down the line, they can start kind of preparing for, for those decisions. So that's kind of been one of how we want to try and get people to own their career and own their development. And then I think in terms of how we have a consistent high bar within the organization, we've looked at standardizing our promotion process. So how you demonstrate impact within your team, how you demonstrate impact in the organization, how you demonstrate that you're consistently meeting behaviors has been something we've kind of revamped um, line managers looking at into kind of a more panel-led view um, across the organization. So that really helps steer what it good looks like a uh, train line. Um, you know, we're an incredibly value-led organization. Giving people autonomy and giving them the support and, and investment in their development is something that's just naturally part of the, the business as a whole. And I think that's really, really helped with, with retention as well. I think there's some really, really interesting takeaways there that you've introduced into the business. I think if you ask a lot of people, how would you go and get a promotion in your current company? that process can be quite opaque yep. that process um, can be superseded by some unnatural growth where you just move maybe one or two roles up the chain because you have to but it's great that it feels like you've actually got well you have got a career track that's modeled all the way through the business for people to actually clearly see roles, responsibilities, how to achieve that next role. I think that's unique. It's not something I see that often. And I think it's great. Yeah, it's, I, we're still doing a lot of learning. We're doing a lot of listening to what people are telling us. I think for some who've been through the process, they, they understand it a lot more. For others who've um, only kind of seen it from afar, we've still got to kind of take everybody on that journey. So. I think we, we try to socialize the advancements we make in the in the process as often as we can because we want everybody to answer exactly the question you just mentioned around how do I know what it takes to get promoted? How do I know what's expected of me? And we don't want that process to be daunting or intimidating. We want it to be um we want to remove the anxiety and the apprehension from it. We want people to be thinking about their their long-term development. Yeah. I think that's critical. How do you align that with salary progressions as well in terms of kind of how we kind of make it clear what those are or like how they work it's yeah, yeah. I, I mean, so i, I think we have to say is it as transparent as you know those bandings will be there alongside the role responsibility and well, the role itself if you like yeah, so people can see the bandings. They know when they're preparing, they, they kind of know what they're going for. It's another part we want to we want to remove that uncertainty. So you know, we're, we're transparent internally with with what our bandings are for our roles. Right. It'd be good to understand more growth or even more product lines that you can share. The business is a lot bigger than yeah. I anticipated even speaking to you back in the summer. So yeah. it'd be great to understand. What's happening with Trainline over the next 12 months? How do you anticipate growing and where? I think we've seen, we've been through a large growth. So I think we're kind of now trying to like maximize 
what we've got. Um, yeah. The great thing we've had recently is, you know, we're now we're now seeing people return to travel. We're now seeing people get back on trains. Um, the the pent up COVID demand is returning. People are traveling again. The thing I'm really passionate about at, at Trainline and what I see the big opportunity for us is predominantly in Europe is getting people to switch flights for the train. Um, and there's a number of reasons for that, right? For, for train lines, sustainability is really important to us. We try to be a sustainable business and we think we can have a massive impact um, on travel if we switch just a small percentage of people from flights onto the train. So even as a business, we're traveling between sites. We, we encourage traveling by train as much as possible um, and really kind of shorten the overall carbon footprint of travelers. It's it's so easy and and a really great experience to travel across Europe on the train. You know, I've 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 traveled a couple of times between um, from Lyon to London and from um, Berlin to to Amsterdam by the train, and it's just such a much more pleasurable experience than waiting in a departure lounge for an hour and a half to board and then being cramped and delayed. Seeing the countryside, seeing the world kind of pass by you, having a nice comfy seat and a a carriage a, a buffet carriage nearby is, is just a much nicer experience and i think train line's got a real role to play to selling the romance of, of traveling by rail again i think that's part of it i was going to ask you what's the data telling you in terms of why people don't you may not know that answer but i think it is selling the romance in it's the understanding of what's feasible i think yeah. because i think you know my natural thought is country to country i'll think about flight and yeah. it's the accessibility of train lines that i think people probably need to be a lot more aware of to be able to make it happen yeah i mean when when i traveled across the different countries like you have you have an expectation of like what's going to happen at the border do i do i do i have to go through passport control and i think we you know we can we can make that easier for people to give them more information when they're traveling so they understand more about the route they're taking and the way they're doing it um, but yeah, I think I think we want to be seen as a as a brand that advocates for sustainability and help people make those choices. Great. I think what you've done is given us some really good insights into developer productivity, what's been introduced into the business. I love the modeling around career progression. I think naturally it's going to draw some parallels towards retention as well. People can actually see a career path. So I want to say a big thanks for coming to join us and, and sharing that journey with us, especially in the year of productivity as well, yeah. um, to actually get some thoughts on what it's like for a business to introduce that and how they've seen that grow over the last 18 months and a, and a change in philosophy to what's in the public domain uh, is really refreshing. So a massive thanks to you. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Hey guys thanks for watching this episode uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us if you want to find out more about us and what we're doing please check us out on social media what we're trying to do at engineers is build a community to drive knowledge sharing and experiences on twitter we can be found at engineers.io it's no underscore we've also got a website which is engineers.io these links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.